Yeah. So that would have been getting to know me a little bit. Uh, like Ben said, my name is Alex Barrett, and I'm the executive pastor at Church in the Valley. It's great to, to be here with all of you this morning. Uh, I am married to a wife named Samantha, and we have been married 11 years, and I have three kids, uh, Katie, who is six, Levi, who is four, and Jude, who is 18 months. So at our house, we call that busy, but we are, we are very thankful for the family that God has given us. And I have been on staff at Church in the Valley since 2006, and we have been working for, for months on this, this new campus, and it is great to see all your faces, and it's really just a blessing to be here with, with all of you. I want to jump right in uh, this morning and start with a recap of where we've been headed. Uh, we're continuing on the series called Love in High Definition. And if you're like me, uh, love is maybe a term that you've heard much but can become blurred in your understanding. Uh, it can be kind of like, is that just a feeling or is that an idea? What does that look like practically? So what we've been trying to do is in this series, take a step back and look at what does love really mean applied to the relationships that we have? What does love look like in our family as we relate to our spouse? What does love look like as we relate to our kids? What does it look like as we relate to our coworkers, to our neighbors, to our extended family? And what we find is, is love is actually something in the Bible that is more specific than it is general. And that's very helpful to me because a lot of times if I stay on the general end of things, uh, I don't really know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. And so we've been digging into really what are the specifics of love in everyday life. And so we're trying to get a clear picture of that. And thankfully, God has given us that uh, in the Bible. So if you, this is your first time of this series, I kind of want to take a time to recap. And if you've been here, this will be just kind of a good reminder. But we started the first week talking about that love matters most. And love is not something that we invented. It's actually something that's derived from God. And in the Bible, it's described as God is love himself. It's his idea. He created it. And he is the one that actually sustains love. And if you're like me, that is a huge relief because I cannot love within myself. I need help. And God provides that because it matters most to him. Uh, the second week we talked about uh, love does not envy. And it doesn't compare to other people, but in, in, instead it celebrates as things happen to people, as people get blessed. We don't burn inside because we wish that happened to us, but instead we, we celebrate and we trust God to provide for us for the needs that we have. And then last week we looked at love's secret ingredient. You guys remember the, the Big Mac jingle? 1984 throwback Big Macs has the secret ingredient, the special sauce in scripture. Humility is the secret ingredient to love. Putting others in front of yourself is the key to love flowing clearly and fully in relationships. And so today we're talking about love versus honor. And that sounds like an epic masterpiece, like a movie coming to you. Love and honor, right? You can see the trailer Right. All right. Love and honor. It is epic, but it actually is scriptural. It's something that we are commanded to do. And we're going to dig into first Corinthians 13 again. And that is called like the love chapter in the Bible. First Corinthians 13 has just verse after verse and sentence after sentence that kind of describes what love is. And so we're going to continue in first Corinthians chapter 13, verse five. But this idea of honor to me, sometimes it's helpful for me to understand by kind of thinking through what the opposite of honor is. And, you know, I learned this in high school. That's like dishonor. You could throw dis in front of a lot of words and it means the opposite. 
Isn't that just amazing? So dishonor, what does that mean? Or this idea of, of maybe just being devalued. So dishonor and, and devalued, kind of that's the opposite of, of honor. And if you're like me, you may can pinpoint to a time in your life where you, you felt just dishonored by somebody or devalued, not important. And that, that kind of stays with you. Uh, that to me was seventh through eighth grade. That's called junior high, right? Junior high to me was a time in my life where it just felt like I didn't have much value. I was so insecure in myself. I remember a story, and I'm going to share, with the, share this with you just so you can relate to just how terrible seventh grade was in my life. I was uh, playing P.E., and playing is, is kind of the, the word that I use that loosely. I dressed in my clothes. I didn't know what I was doing. I was awkward. I wasn't athletic. Not much has changed. But we were picking for softball, and the most popular guy in the school was picking teams. And they do this thing in junior high because they want it to be fair, that they make sure you choose in boy-girl order. The problem was it came to like three people left. It was me and two girls. And the person looks out, this captain of the basketball team, the most popular, who's choosing teams. And he looks out and he says, hey, is that a dude or a girl? And I looked around and I looked at these two girls with like long hair and... I realized he was talking to me and I did what any dude would. And I said, I'm a dude. And then thought I had to clarify that. You know, that, that really scarred, you know, scarred me in, in kind of a funny way for you. But for me, I, I, you know, I went home and decided, you know, I need to get a haircut, right? I need to shave the mop off. I had like a little Afro going and that didn't help. And I wanted to be picked last, but at least I want to be picked last as a boy, right? Men, right? Dishonor. I, I felt devalued, not important. And that is funny, but, you know, things like that, they, they do stay with us. Um, a lot of times in work, we can feel devalued. If we've worked hard for something and someone else gets the credit, that can happen and that can just deflate you. And it kind of oh, demotivates you because... You did all this and you haven't been recognized. And you're like, where's my, where's my value? What about what I brought to the team? And, and we battle with that. Or in a relationship that you have with somebody, it feels like every time you talk to them, they, they, they're trying to change you or control you. And that just kind of weighs on you because you think, well, I am who I am. Why, why can't I just be accepted? Or if, if you relate to your parents. And you feel, well, my, my parents don't listen to me. Or the decisions that you make, your parents seem like it's not good enough what you do. And we feel like we have little value or we're not really able to do what we have to do to kind of feel like we matter. This stuff, you know, it stays with us, it sticks with us, and it creates this experience which it's burdensome, it's heavy. And it causes a lot of friction in relationships. Or if you've ever been in a conversation with somebody... And you get together and you talk with them and you realize in the conversation that this isn't actually a talk. This is a one way conversation where your ears are open just to listen to them. And you think, do they even know I'm here? And you just kind of do. Yeah. Like, yes. And you keep nodding. Yes. Yes. And then, they say, well, that was great talking to you today. And they leave and you think, I didn't say one thing. And to them, it was the greatest conversation ever. But even that could cause this feeling of. Wow, did I, did I matter to that person? Do they even know I'm here? We all have experiences like that. Some are funny, some are not. We don't need to share and wallow in self-pity. That won't help us. But we all can relate to that. 
But as you dig into the scriptures, we kind of turn the corner from, from moving past humility and how important that is to actually another idea. And I want to pick up in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Because we've all experienced that feeling of when it's happened to us. But on the flip side, what about when we devalue others around us? What about when we treat people in a way that doesn't show honor to them? So we've had that experience, but we've also all been guilty of doing this to other people. And so we're going to kind of talk about how does God help us with that? What do we do from this predicament that we find ourselves in? This, this thing of just not really paying people the respect that, that they're due in the variety of our relationships. And so 1 Corinthians 13.5 says this, love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. To be rude is, is inappropriate. That's kind of literally what it means, or it's unbecoming. It, it doesn't fit. If you're rude, you don't fit the situation that where words are needed that are supposed to be uplifting and helpful. Rudeness just cuts through and lands like a punch. It just it doesn't help anyone. In this context, it actually is talking about devalue. Love does not devalue others. Love always adds value to the people that you relate to. It does not devalue people. It's, it's kind of imagining you own a, a diamond ring. Ladies, you'll probably re- relate to this. Guys, you're thinking, I don't care less, right? Except for if you have to pay for it. But the bigger a diamond is, the more you have to take care of it, right? I'm talking like over a carat. And, you know, you want to take that to get checked. You want to get that polished. You want to make sure that the store you bought it is checking the prawns, that the stone, the precious thing doesn't fall out. But imagine... You find out, ladies, one day that this ring that you've been taking care of and taking every six months to the store to get posh is a cubic zirconium. Would you treat the stone any different? First off, yes. Second, argument, right? You bought me what? Man, you should be very afraid. Always check the stone, okay? But we treat things based upon the value that we have. So we treat a diamond different than a cubic sarconian. It's, it's just what we do. We're not going to take care of a cubic sarconian the same way. It doesn't have the same value. But it's the same as we relate to people. We kind of set certain values that we think people have. Based on their background, based on appearances, based on experience, based on our relationship to them, we decide this is their value and therefore I'm going to treat them like this. And that comes out in two ways. And in 1 Corinthians, it explains that. The first is uh, when we devalue others we insist on our own way that's actually very disrespectful in relationships to insist on your own way that means you have a goal that you want you have something that you want in your life in a certain circumstance and you want to use people to get you to that goal and you try to finagle and you try to think through how can this person get me to this destination that i want to be at And you hope they help you because if they don't help you, watch out. If they block your goal, it's not going to be pretty. That's insisting on our own way. And the second second kind of part of that is, is we become irritable. So insisting on our way is when we want our own goals. And we devalue others when we just use them to reach that goal. And when they don't help us or we can't control them like we wish we could, irritability creeps in. And we start thinking, why can't they just do what I want them to do? 
And we can become irritated and annoyed because this person is not really helping us. Deep down, all of us have this kind of struggle and this battle as we relate to people. No matter how much we care about our kids, a lot of times our kids are going to irritate us. No matter how much we care about our spouses, a lot of times we have a goal in mind. And as long as they agree that my goal is the best goal, everything's going to be great, right? It's like the family vacation. It's all beautiful. And then like you start it and you realize like everyone has a different idea of what they want to do. And you're thinking, well, we could have stayed home and gone to work and had more peace than this family vacation. This sounds really depressing so far, right? But it's true. This thing just comes out. It's kind of under the surface, under the surface, under the surface. Goals get blocked. Irritability happens. And then all of a sudden, blow up. And there's no love there. It's missing. It, It just it doesn't happen. And so we use people many times to help make our life better or to help us get to the goals that we want. But see, God actually wants us to turn that on its head, to not see people as a tool that we can use to get what we want, but actually to see people in the value that God has given them. Instead of placing them in our own value structure that shifts and changes based on the relationship that we have or based on what they've done for us or haven't done for us, based on how we feel that day. When we allow God to set the value on the people that we relate to, it it now is secure in him. It doesn't change based on what's happening in our life. It doesn't shift. And so we know the value that God has set is constant. It is unchanging. And that's what God tells us. To set a high, high value on the people in your life. But if you're like me, sometimes that, that's, that's difficult. Even as I was thinking through relating to my kids, there's just times with my kids that the age and stage they're at and the, the lack of sleep, and then I think time change. Why? Right? You, just, you get tired. You get home from work and... You don't really want to talk and you've got all these things on your mind and then your kids want to do something. And at least my kids, it's like, Daddy, can we do this? And my instinct is like, no. See me tomorrow. I wouldn't tell them that, but there's that thing, there's that battle. I have to prep myself. Okay, my kids are, they're a gift. And this time with them is in this small window. But right now, I just feel like they're blocking my goals. Right? We do the same thing with our spouse. We just, in our, with our coworkers. We have a deadline we have, and we think, well, this is the only deadline in the office, so everyone helps me with my deadline. And then when you discover there's other deadlines that people have and other goals that they have, oh, we're like, uh oh, who trumps? And we have these cards in our pocket that we just, that trumps, right? And we just kind of want to trump each other all the time. But when we allow God to set the value, we're freed up from that just. That game of constantly that, that moving target of, of value, and, and there's help that we have. If you're like me, there's some disillusionment because it's, it's difficult to know what that looks like. It's kind of like uh, with my kids. We, we, I take them to the donut shop. That's kind of like one of our things. We go get donuts, and then we, we do the little toy, the grabber that picks it up, you know, 50 cents. And basically, it's just like donating 50 cents to the donut shop because you cannot get that stuffed animal. They stuff them down or they put them up against the glass. You ever notice that? But occasionally, 
you, you, you get that animal, it grabs it, it comes up, it hits the top, and then it drops. That's the really depressing one. That's when your kids are like, no, dad, dad. And it's not me, it's the gang. Right? But sometimes as we try to kind of figure out how, how can we actually make relationships enjoyable? How can we actually experience this love that we've been talking about? It's kind of like sometimes we're, we're trying to grab love. And we have this picture of it and we put the money in, but we cannot get a grip on it. It does not get, we don't get the traction and it's frustrating. And a lot of times if you're experiencing that frustration, it's actually a good thing because God wants to help relieve that. He wants to give you help so you know what to do when that just irritability mounts, when the goals seem so important to you and people are blocking them. He, he wants to help. And in Romans 12, he does that. This is what he says. I'm going to wait for the flyover. Romans 12 says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That statement right there is the foundation to how love and honor work together. There's a part in which we should be working to outdo one another in showing honor. We don't think about that. There's this thing where we're, we don't want somebody to open the door for us. We want to open the door for them. We don't want to give the last, or we don't want people to give the last cookie to us. We want to give the last cookie to them. Or pie, or chocolate, or chips. Whatever's your fancy. But there's this thing of you are so wanting to help others and honor others with their goals before your own. It's kind of back to the humility thing. This is the picture. We want to outdo one another. In showing honor. And we all set the value on things. We determine what's a nice car and what's not a nice car. Where's a nice place to live? What's not a nice place to live? And we do it with people too without realizing it. But Romans 12 is saying, let your love be genuine. Don't tie yourself to these kind of parameters that you've set in your mind of what's important and what's not. How does God see them? So we're going to do a little kind of measurement. How, in your relationships, how, how much are you valuing the people in your life? So I want, I want you to think real quick. Who, who are the people that you relate to most often? You know, you're around them quite a bit. Could be family, could be friends. And there's a comparison chart on here. And this kind of shows how much you, you honor or dishonor the people that you relate to. Now, if you want to go, ooh, or ah, just do it quietly. If you're like me, I read this and I was like, uh-oh. There should be a whole chart that says, like, cell phone, right? Look at cell phone instead of people. But that one's just on my list, okay? You can add others as well. But let's just compare. Here's, here's some honorable acts versus dishonorable. First thing is you, you listen to and consider uh, their suggestions, whoever you're relating to, and their point of view. Listen and consider. Consider is the part that gets me because the listening is like, okay, I listen, I listen until you break and then I talk. Considering actually is not thinking about talking, but actually listening to what they're saying and letting it soak in. Dishonoring is ignoring or degrading their opinions, their advice or beliefs. Second is this, building them up with our words and finding ways to encourage them. That's a way that you honor people. Or vice versa, telling jokes at their expense or making jokes about their weak areas. That's a, that's a key way to dishonor and devalue. 
you joke about a weakness someone has. And then somehow by you saying just joking makes it seem like that wasn't real. But everyone knows, well, then why did they say that? And it sets relationships back, and it's very dishonored. Another thing is giving them grace when they make mistakes. Opposed to being critical of their honest efforts or attacking them verbally. This is the battle that goes in with with each of us. Or expressing appreciation for kind deeds and helpfulness. Or dishonoring them would be expecting people to help and ignoring their kindness. Somebody does something and you you didn't really think about the cost that it, it took. Or the sacrifice somebody made. And you just expected it. Being reasonable when in conflict and trying to see the problem from their angle. That's like the huge ouch. Because in an argument, I thought there was only one angle. Mine. Right? Kind of experience that as just kind of well, an argument. Wait a second. This is like battle. We're at war. But you can dishonor the person by just thinking your way is the only way. Your point of view is the only point of view. Opposed to the dishonoring power struggles that leave one person feeling small. And the last is asking forgiveness and clearing up relationships when we've been wrong. If we've hurt somebody. If we've joked at their expense. You go and you ask forgiveness like, I, I messed up. I put my goals in front of your goals. Will you forgive me? It's very honoring. It adds value to the person. It adds value to the relationship. Or the opposite is an unwillingness to admit that we are wrong or to ask forgiveness. What I want you to do is look at that chart. Take a look. And is there any that stand out that you say, you know, those are the kind of the usual things that I do. Put a little star by that. Are there any on that chart that you see is like that is kind of that, that's kind of the track I like to take. Identify that. That may be an area that, that God wants to help you with today. Now, if you're very courageous, these people that I asked you to think about, that you relate to often, you ask them. I know, I'm getting crazy. It's outside the weather, I don't know. But what if you ask that person? Like, what if you asked your kids? You know, as daddy, do you, do you feel like I do this as I relate to you? Or ask your parents. Or ask your boss at work. Do you imagine that conversation? I'd like to know if, if I am treating you with the right respect. That boss would probably pass out right there in the office. It's not normal. Usually, employees are there to disrespect the boss. That's how it goes. This is the beauty of the scriptures. It shows that there is another way. Where the right value is put in place because of God. Who cares about each and every one of us. And our relationships, the difference, that if we just decided to do a little bit more on the left side opposed to the right side on this chart, how different would our relationships be? First Peter 2, we get some more instruction. It says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You see honor again. In, in, that, in that verse. Honor everyone. The Bible is clear, isn't it? 
There's part of me like, well, does everyone mean everyone? Right? But honor everyone. And then it qualifies it even more. Love the brotherhood. Love those you're relating to. In the church, that means you're going to love the people you go to church with. At work, you're going to love the people that you work with. In your neighborhood, you're going to love your neighbors. You honor everyone. You love the brotherhood. You fear God. Fear there, you, you take him seriously. You know that you can trust him. He's going to come through for you. And then you honor the emperor. You acknowledge the authorities put in place. Even by the government. Honor everyone. We're not commanded to do this because this is easy. Or something that is native to us. In fact, a lot of times it doesn't make any sense to us. Because there's something about the goals that we have that are very dear to us. And when people get in the way, it's going to be a battle the rest of our life. How do I not run over that person as they're blocking my goal? We're going to deal with that. But the reason that we we set such a high value on people is because God created each of us in his image. That's the key. God created you. God created me. God created that person on the freeway that cut us off. Even him. And we are made in the image of God. And we have a special relationship because of that. We're complex. And we discover that because we, we spent a whole time series talking about the complexities of relating to each other. But that complexity is actually part of the gift of God. We are higher than the animals. We're made in his image. We are thinkers. He created us so he has more value than we do. He is the boss. But he's also bestowed glory and honor to us. You find that in Psalm 8, 5. We have glory and honor. We are, we are special. And because we're made in the image of God, we want to treat people like they're made in the image of God. And disrespecting them is telling God, this person doesn't have value. And I've learned in my life as I've been walking with God, anytime I kind of question him on, why'd you do that? It kind of comes back because I'm God. And then it's usually like, good idea. That's right. They have value. And this should actually be a relief because to what God gives value, nothing can take that value away. This actually gives significance to every single one of us today. If you want to see the picture of what following Christ means, it's this. We're made in the image of God. And even though we've gone our own way and decided that our goals are more important than following God, he sent Jesus, his only son, to die for our stubbornness, to die for our sin, and offer us a way back to connect to him. This shows our significance. Jesus Christ. And we decide to do life his way, although it's a battle and it's difficult. And we still have these irritabilities and these block goals. God gives us another way. God gives us hope. This is the picture of following Jesus. It adds value to ourselves. So we don't have to kind of put ourselves up above others. Because we realize I don't have to prop myself up. To make myself bigger than those I'm relating to. God has given me value. 
And so it should relieve pressure. It should relieve just this drive to get to those goals because you realize it's not about what you have done. It's the fact that Jesus Christ has done it on behalf of us. He has added the value. He has given us significance. The picture is this. My, my daughter has this bear. And I wish I could have brought it, but when I left this morning, she was sleeping and it just wouldn't have gone well. Because this bear is, is with her. We, we have a rule now. She's six. So the rule is like at night. Bear stays upstairs at night. You can have it. But this bear is, is dear to her. And she's had it like six years. Because she's six. Remember that? My math is still with me. But the bear is, is kind of, it's dirty. It, it, you know, the stuffing, like the legs just don't look the same. And we wash it every once in a while just so it can maintain its hygiene. The bear is, is not the greatest bear anymore. It's lost its luster. But to my daughter, that bear is precious. If we were to take that away, she would feel that loss. And it's the same thing as we talk about this value that God's given us. We, we are kind of like this, this bear. We're, we're dirty. We're not quite the same as we used to be. We've lost our luster. Life's beaten us up. We're not sure what we're supposed to do. And we just we get burden of life that weighs on us again and again and but we are precious to god every single one of us and i'm so thankful for that because i realize that if i am trying to add value to myself i'm always going to be running over people and if i'm trying to determine the value of others i'm always going to be changing based on how i feel so God provides the stability. So in him, this works out. In him, the significance flows and our relationships are better. I want to kind of go through four practical ways as we kind of wrap up the service. Four practical ways that you can show honor in the relationships in your life. And you may just want to pick one of these to start with. But these are designed to give you kind of a sense of how do you add value to the relationships? How do you add value to this person? Make them understand that they, they are important to God. They are important to you. So it's kind of like a, a, a road map. Okay. Um, first sign on the road is stop. If you want to show honor, you stop. You stop talking and you listen. The key way you can show honor to the people in your life. James 1.19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. This is one of the first verses I've ever memorized. And it is something I have to bring up again and again. Stop. Listen. Stop talking. Listen. And it's so hard because people say something. but And you just... Depending on your wiring, you may like to talk. I like to talk. And so I like to find people that like to listen. But I don't only have relationships with a certain population, those introverts. But I need to relate to talkers too. So who's going to give? Well, if I stop, I'll let you talk. But I may have my timer on. I'm just kidding. No timer. But that's the first thing. Stop. Stop talking and listen. 
Uh, sign number two. No U-turn. Now, sometimes my driving, no U-turn, I kind of think is like that's optional. Right? California driving, it's like, well, no U-turn, but that's like only on Wednesdays and it's Thursday. But actually, a no U-turn sign is there because the street's not designed for you to be able to do that. And I always like to find new ways that that's possible, but I don't recommend it. That's a long description just to say, don't go back on your promises. <laughs> no U-turn. If you've said something, don't turn around and do something different. That's a key way of showing honor to the people that you relate to. Psalm 15 says, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. If you've ever said something in a relationship, like you, you do something for a friend and you're going to help them with something on a certain day. And then this opportunity came up on a certain day. It's like to go to this, this movie with another friend. And all of a sudden you're kind of thinking, well, how can I not do that with this friend to go to the movie with this friend? And we kind of think of how we can finagle and how we can kind of still get what we want. But this idea of a no U-turn is you show respect by actually keeping your word. With kids, this is crucial. If you say something, follow through. Do it. What does the scripture say? Even to your own hurt. Even if it costs you money. Even if it costs you time. Convenience. You keep your promises. Key way of showing respect to those around you. Sign number three. Yield. Yield your rights and serve. Now, yielding is another thing that I've only like recently realized what that means. Because I get on the freeways over here on some of the 10, and there are those like lanes that kind of like merge all at once, and you're kind of trying to get on the freeway, and the person's trying to get off the freeway. And yield to me is always like Frogger. Like you just try to get there first and not get hit. Right? You guys are scared. If you see me in the parking lot, I'm just warning you. This stuff is kind of true. It is true. But yield, I actually looked this up. It says to give up possession on a claim or demand. So if you're yielding on the road, you're basically giving up your right to be in that place you want to be and you let the other car go. So I thought it was kind of like optional, like yield, like maybe again. But yield, you give up that spot and you let the other person go. In a relationship, it means you surrender. Like in an argument, you, the white flag Okay, I'm not, it's not my job to win this. It's not my job to prove my point. I had the evidence and I was about to present it in the case. But I surrender. I rest, Your Honor. I'm just going to listen. And you're the battle within you, but what I have to say is so valid and we want to puff ourselves up. But we yield your rights. And it's not just yield your rights in neutral. You actually serve the person. You think of ways that you can help them with their goals. You can help them just with the things that they just burdened with in their life. It's a great way to show respect. If someone's ever helped you and they've gone out of their way to do whatever that is, that, that just means something to you. You remember that. You actually have a special relationship with that person because you know that they have sacrificed on your behalf. That's what this is talking about. You give up your right 
in line, you let them take it. It's a great way to show respect. Second Corinthians says this, I will gladly spend myself and all I have for you. It's going to cost you. Yielding costs your, your spot. So there is cost, but again, if we do this, the blessing that flows from honoring far outweighs the blessing that we get from just trying to push ourselves in front of others. Because we are aligning with God. We're saying, God, I recognize this person has value. I'm going to let them go in front of me. And we've now lined up with the way God's made it work. Putting the interests of others above, above our own. The last sign is take the scenic route. There's usually two types of drivers. There's the person that wants to go the most direct line to the destination. And then there's the person that wants to take the scenic route. They want to go the PCH. And it'll take them 17 days, opposed to like three hours. They want to see the beach, not the headlights, the traffic. In our relationships with people, it's actually slowing down to see others the way God sees them. Many times we look at the outward appearance. The scriptures say God looks at the heart. And so we ask ourselves, think, like, what, what's that person facing? What are they going through? And we consider who they are, what they're dealing with. Romans 12 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So again and again, you see this. It's seeing people the way God does. That's what Jesus did in the scriptures. He related with people again and again of low position. He didn't spend a lot of time with the rich. He spent a lot of time with the poor. He spent time with prostitutes. He spent time with tax collectors. These were the people that no one wanted to be around. But he recognized it's not about the appearance. It's not about their status or their success. And we have to be willing in our, in our own life to look at some of the prejudices that we have. Look at some of the things in us that we just we have a hard time relating to this person because of this or because of that. Scripture says, do not be conceited. Remember their value. God has said it. So I hope you've been able to pinpoint maybe just a couple things that you could do this week just in just thinking differently as you relate to those that you care about or those that you work with. And I encourage you, we're going to be talking about some next steps right now. And as the band comes up, I just want to just paint this picture. Could you imagine if we took those four signs of respect and we applied them in our marriages? What a difference that would make. To actually hear the people that we're relating to. Or in our relationships with our kids, if we just wanted to hear from their world and what they're experiencing, what they're going through, and taking the time to listen to them. And at work, thinking through the goals of those people that we're working with and how their goals are important, just like my goals are important, and how can I help them with their goals? You can see that as this trickles down, it makes a difference in all the different arenas of life as we relate to people. And this is the picture that God has given us. It's of a different way. We're not pushing ourselves forward, but we're considering the value of those around us. So as Ben uh, mentioned, there's a connection card in your program. Why don't you guys pull that out right now as I conclude? And we want to encourage you to take some next steps today. Really, help comes in the doing, not just the hearing. 
And so we've given some suggestions. Uh, The first next step is choose a sign of respect to work on this week. Is there one of those that you can decide, okay, that's what I need to do. Maybe circle it in your your listening guide and purpose to do that. The second is for the first time I accept Jesus as my Savior and will follow him as Lord. I talked about significance and that coming from God. And that flows from a relationship with him. If you don't have a relationship with God and you realize this is something that you need to value the people around you plus to have the right view of yourself, I encourage you, if, if you check that, we will give you some information about what it means to follow Christ. What does it mean to make him the boss of your life? So if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. Third thing is a life group. If you want to kind of dig in more and kind of think through how to apply the Bible into your life, to kind of figure out what that looks like, sign up for a life group. Those will be launching in a few weeks. Uh, groups have been a great way for me to get to know people. And this is a new church. There's people that don't know each other, and this is a great way for you guys to, to connect. And then the last thing is consider who you can invite to Easter and purpose to do that this week. Let's pray together before we receive our offering. God, thank you so much for the value that you've given us and significance comes from you and you alone. And God, forgive us when we place it on the things that we do or things that we say or what we look like. God, there's nothing that we can do that can earn your favor. Uh, You have given that freely to us. And so God, help us to see people the way that you do, to not be rude, to not insist on our own way, and to not be irritable. God, we want to love. We want to put people in front of us. We want to consider their needs. We want to show respect and be a help to those around us. And we need your strength to do that. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.